Chair, let me express our gratitude to be with you tonight. Uh, it was Natalie's intent to be here, and Canyon's as well, our middle son, but uh, uh, early Monday morning he came into our bedroom and he was throwing up and uh, obviously had some of the uh, stomach bug, and so uh, we felt it was probably best to keep them home. And it was an interesting conversation that we had this afternoon. We were trying to figure out who was going to come with me tonight, and uh, I knew that Natalie wasn't going to come, which I knew y'all wouldn't let me in the door if I didn't bring certain others. And, uh, and, and I told her, I said, well, I'm not sure who I have to take, but I know Sawyer is one and uh, cannot leave him here or I won't be able to, to, to come and actually speak. And so uh, I do bring you uh, greetings from her as well. And uh, they would have liked to have been here tonight, but Sawyer and Oakley are uh, with me this evening. And uh, it is always a blessing to be here. Uh, in a lot of ways, it's home for me, home for Natalie and home for Sawyer. And uh, it's always neat to come back, see each one of you, and reminisce, and talk, and visit. And uh, there's a part of us that are part of you, and that will always be the case. And so it's it's a joy to be able to ask, be asked to come, and appreciate the invitation to be with you tonight. Romans chapter 14 and verse number 10, we read these words: Why do you pass judgment on your brother, or you? Why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. I remember a lot going back to my junior high years. I grew up during that time in my life in Linden, Alabama. Uh, attended in middle school, uh, called it junior high then, George P. Austin Junior High. It was a 7th, 8th, and ninth grade school. There are a lot of things I remember back to George P. Austin Junior High. One thing I remember distinctly that uh, early on in seventh grade, uh, I de developed a, an understanding that every day I needed to go to school with a, a couple of um, uh, pieces of paper stuck in my back pocket. And so usually you could see on my dresser every night, Mike, you could see uh, those two thick pieces of paper that were folded up just about in the right size of a back pocket there. And the reason being, we had two disciplinarians at school. Both of them went by the name of Mr. Davis. One was coach and one was Mr. Davis, the principal. And if you got in trouble in school, you were going to see one of those two guys. And that meant you were going to get a paddling. And so you needed a little bit of padding if you were going to ever get in trouble. And I'm, I, I didn't do that much. You can probably understand. But, but I wanted to, to have that just in case. I remember that. I remember special events that we'd have. Every year I can remember in the gym, we would have a snake show come. That's what we called it. And I can remember one year in particular, one of the snakes got loose and came towards the bleachers. And all the girls that were sitting down on the floor especially, it was a sight to see them trying to go up, up, up as the snake kind of came on over towards the, the, the bleachers there. Every year, we would have a student versus a teacher's uh, basketball game in that gym. I, I can remember we had one teacher who was an English teacher, and she was very proper in all of her teaching and, and talking. And she had a saying, and it was one of those good country sayings when she'd come in and, and class was a little rowdy. Y'all need to get your ducks in a row. And I can remember Spencer Edwards in a class when she came in one day and said that, he said, quack, <laughs> which didn't go over real well. He got to go see one of the Davises. But I could also remember going back to George P. Austin Junior High School, going across the street to eat every day at the cafeteria. Occasionally, we'd have a fight break out. Invariably, when a fight broke out in the cafeteria, sooner or later, food was going to be involved. 
Somebody might grab a tray, somebody might grab a piece, an item of food and throw it or, or use it in some kind of way, but it was going to eventually turn into what we would call a food fight. And so when that happened in the cafeteria, you would generally get up from where you were at and try to get out of range so that none of the food that might be thrown would hit you or get on your clothes or anything like that. Tonight we're going to talk about an issue that had to deal with food. In a sense, from Romans chapter 14. As we look at the issue that's under discussion, food is one of the centerpieces there. They are, in a sense, fighting, spiritually speaking. Not in the sense that they did back in the day at the cafeteria there at George P. Austin, but there is strife and there is a dispute. There is an issue in the church at Rome that the Apostle Paul has to address in this section of Scripture that we're going to be looking at tonight. The, the topic that I've been assigned tonight is, why do you pass judgment on your brother? And it is a, a one verse out of a larger section where this issue is being addressed that is taking place inside the church at Rome. It is a, it is a section that deals with this topic all the way from verse number 1 of chapter 4 down through chapter 15 and verse number 13. And so there's a lot of things that are said on this particular topic. But the, the idea that I've been asked to speak on is, why do you pass judgment on your brother? That's the statement here in verse number 10. Now, as we begin and kind of go through our study tonight, I would like to do so from three vantage points, three questions. Uh, number one, I'd like to ask the question, why were they, quote-unquote, passing judgment on one another? Why was that happening? Number two, uh, the issue that's causing them to strive for the problems, uh, the reason people are passing judgment on one another, is this a matter of what we might call faith or a matter of opinion? And then I'd like to ask the question, number three, what are some solutions that the Apostle Paul gave that would help people not pass judgment on one another or look down their noses at one another in, in some kind of slight or less esteemed type of way? And so let's begin tonight by asking the question, why are these brethren passing judgment on one another? What's going on? We need to understand the context here. There are two verses that really helps us and as we go through the study tonight, you'll notice we skip around. I'm not going to take the time to read the whole uh, of our passage, but I'll kind of reference these verses as we go along. But verse number two kind of helps us get started to understanding what's going on. There we read, one person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Skip to verse number five. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Now, if you've been in the church for many, many years, this may be somewhat strange to you. What's the deal with the eating and what's the deal with days? What, what's going on? Well, if you're kind of confused about that and you're not exactly sure what's happening, there are some other clues that help us to kind of glean what is taking place. When it's talking about the foods, down in verse number 14, there is the mentioning there that some foods are viewed as, here's the word, unclean. And in verse number 6, when Paul talks about the people observing a day, he says they are doing this in honor to the Lord. Now, when you look at those kind of references, it becomes very clear what's taking place. In the church at Rome, you would have had two types of people, Jews and Gentiles. Though they would be one in Jesus Christ, they would come to the church, if you will, with two distinctly different backgrounds. For those who were devout Jews, 
who came to Christianity, they would have come with a history of obedience to the law of Moses. Guess what you find in the law of Moses when it comes to dietary matters? There were some foods that would be considered unclean. And you can go to places like Leviticus chapter 11 and verse number 1 and following, and you can find a number of those foods that are mentioned as being off limits for a Jew. Going on further, if you were a devout Jew, you would have observed many special days. Things like the Feast of the Passover, the Day of Atonement. You would have been accustomed, according to the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20, to not work on a Saturday. And so in the congregation there at Rome, there would have been some individuals from a Jewish background. Jews who would have been used to looking at foods and saying, well, I can't eat this or I can't eat that. Jews who would have been accustomed to saying, well, I'm not able to work on the Sabbath day, on Saturday. I'm, I'm supposed to observe the days like the Day of Atonement or the Passover feast, so forth and so on. And so you would have some Christians in the congregation with that background. And evidently, they are to the point, many of them, that they are not able to loose themselves from that. Now, I want you to imagine that you have lived for 60 years as a godly, devout Jew, and you've lived with these dietary restrictions. I'll use pork and and catfish as two of the off-limits food throughout the evening tonight. But you've been accustomed to not eating pork or not eating catfish all of your life. Well, it would be hard after you obeyed the gospel all of a sudden to say, well, you know, I can eat that. And so you have these Jews who are members of the body of Christ who are struggling to get beyond some of the the lifestyles, if you will, the habits that had been established for many years in their life. And so you have some brethren in the congregation who have this holdover, if you will, from the law of Moses. They they are not in good conscience able to eat all types of foods. And, And there are some days that they see as more special than others in the eyes of God. On the other hand, you have another group of individuals. They are the Gentile Christians. The Gentile Christians may have been pagans or uh, they possibly, some of them, could have been proselytes to the Judaism faith. But if they had not been proselytes to the Judaism faith, they didn't come to Christianity with that type of baggage. They didn't come to Christianity with a baggage that says there are certain foods that are deemed clean and unclean and we honor God by those choices in our life. They wouldn't have come to the church with that attitude. They wouldn't have come to the church with the attitude that says, well, when I'm not working on Saturday, then I'm honoring the Lord. They wouldn't have come with that type of mindset. And so for the normal Gentile Christian in this congregation... That person does not understand, more than likely, what's the whole deal with the clean and unclean? What's the, 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 the deal with these special days and why are these people getting caught up in this situation? Now, I want you to kind of picture for just a moment how this would play out in a congregational life. Let's suppose you had a, a mixed gathering over to someone's house. And let's say maybe it's a, it's a Gentile's Christian's house and, and there's a mixed gathering. There's some Jews and Gentiles in that gathering. And all of a sudden, as we're sitting down to eat, the Gentile host pulls out of the oven some barbecue and brings it in and sets it on the table. All of a sudden, you've got possibly some Jewish Christians who say, oh, I can't eat that. 
And they're even offended that it would even be brought out in that kind of setting. And so that kind of situation was very possible. And yes, even plausible. Imagine, ladies, if there was a meeting for uh, maybe planning something like a baby shower. And imagine a group of the Gentile and Jewish Christians, the ladies, they get together and immediately one of the Jewish ladies says, when they start talking about the day of the week, they're going to have it. Well, we just can't have it on Saturday. And the Gentile ladies say, what are you talking about? We can't have it on Saturday. Well, we're going to have to prepare and do things and that's constituting work and we're not supposed to work on this. What are you talking? Do you see how things would go? When it comes to congregational life, when you've got people from these two vastly different backgrounds, and if it keeps going like that, guess what happens? And people start choosing sides. Then feelings are hurt. And more and more, people start losing respect for other individuals, esteeming them less. And we would see that the church would all of a sudden be dealing with a major problem. That evidently is the place they had reached. Because these individuals have to be written by God to address this particular subject. And so this issue, the reason they were passing judgment on each other, was because of this background that some of them had in the law of Moses coming from a Jewish background. Question number two. Was this a matter of faith or opinion? Just so you know the terms as we're talking about them tonight, a matter of faith is a matter that God has already decided. God has deemed things to be right and wrong. In other words, there's two sides when it is a matter of faith. There is that which is right that God has established, and there is that which is wrong. Two sides in matters of faith, right and wrong. That's the only two sides there's going to be. Now, what's a matter of faith? Well, a matter of faith, is, by example, is going to be uh, the observing of the Lord's Supper by Christians on the first day of the week. Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper in Matthew 26, 26 through 29. He commanded his disciples to each one of them participate in that feast. From what we read about in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 through 26, we understand there that every Christian seems to have been commanded to participate in the Lord's Supper. God has made that, if you will, a matter of faith. The reason you hear at Midway, observe the Lord's Supper every first day of the week, is not because the elders got together and said, you know, it's a good thing for us to do that. It's a matter of faith. God decided that long ago. It is a matter of faith. Man is not the one who has made anything right or wrong about it. God has deemed this to be the case. And so the Lord's Supper, the observance of the Lord's Supper, that is considered to be a matter of faith. What is a matter of opinion? Well, a matter of opinion is a situation where God has not made a decision on something. When God has deemed something as a matter of opinion, there are two sides. Both one right and the second right. Remember the matter of faith? The matter of faith says that one side is right, one side is wrong. When it is a matter of opinion as God has left it to be, then you have two sides, but both of them are right when it is that matter of opinion. Now, what might be an example of a matter of opinion? Well, let's go back to the Lord's Supper situation. I don't know when you observe the Lord's Supper here in the course of a Sunday morning assembly. There are some people that prefer and like the Lord's Supper to be observed before the preaching. Then there are others who like the Lord's Supper to be observed after the preaching. 
That is a matter of opinion. Why? Because the Lord has not deemed that it should be placed at any certain juncture in a worship assembly. The Lord's Supper itself, whether we partake of it or not, that's a matter of faith. A matter of opinion is at what point in a Sunday morning worship assembly we place that particular element of our worship. So matters of faith are things that God has already weighed in and determined when it comes to right and wrong. Matters of opinion are things that God says are right on both sides. Now, what does this matter that they're dealing with here, where does it fall? Is it a matter of faith or is it a matter of opinion? When you've got these Jewish Christians who still look to foods as clean and unclean and they observe certain days and, and the Gentile Christians, and they don't agree with that perspective per se. Is this a matter of faith or opinion? Verse number 1 in chapter 14 tells us, As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel in the ESV over what? Opinions. This is a matter of opinion. And if you didn't catch it there, skip on down to verse number 6. Paul wrote, The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. Now, this is what verse number 6 says, basically. If you've got an individual that says, you know, I'm not going to work on this Saturday because I'm honoring God, God says, I'm pleased with that. If you've got an individual that says, I'm not going to eat of this particular food because I'm honoring God, verse 6 says God approves of that. God is pleased with that. But if you've got, on the other hand, a Gentile Christian who says, I just thank God for all of my food, and though my brother or sister on the other side of the aisle may not feel comfortable eating, say, barbecue and catfish, I'm going to thank God for that, and I'm going to participate in eating that. God's pleased with that as well when he thanks him for what he's been given. This is a matter of opinion that is causing the problem here in the church. It does not matter which side you happen to be on. It is a matter of opinion. Both sides are okay in the eyes of God. And so I want you to understand what these folks are doing. They are tearing the church up over a matter of opinion. Now let me share this with you just at this juncture very quickly. I knew an elder a long time ago where, where he was an elder, one of, I think, three at the time. And they were deciding they were going to have a, a, a different color of the carpet being replaced there in their auditorium. In fact, they were doing the pews and the, and the, and the flooring and everything about it. Uh, they, they, they had determined among the elders that there was going to be two colors. I think they were burgundy and purple. Actually asked me, what do you think, purple or burgundy? I said, why don't you just put it to a vote in the congregation? He looked at me and he said, you can split a congregation like that. That happens. We laugh and we, we, we make fun of that in a sense. But that's exactly what's happening. This is a matter of opinion. It doesn't matter which side you're on. Both sides are okay in the eyes of God the way it is presented here, but they are going to possibly split the church. And you have people judging others as being less worthy or less faithful because they're not on the same side of the belief system as we are. And so as we look at this situation, it is a matter of opinion. Now I'll throw this in just on the side so that you understand the other side of that coin. When you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 5, there is an issue in the church there with sexual infidelity. 
God has made that a matter of faith. He has spoken very clearly about sexual immorality. After commanding the church there to, in essence, withdraw fellowship from the brother, in 1 Corinthians 5 and verse 12, Paul wrote these words, It is those inside the church that you should judge. Now the verse we're looking at tonight is saying basically we shouldn't judge, but that verse says we should judge. What's the difference? One is a matter of faith, one is a matter of opinion. When God has spoken on something and a brother or sister is found to be in violation of what God has said about that subject, then we need to talk to that individual and we need to try to reconcile that issue. But when it's a matter of judgment, like in the case of Romans chapter 14, we are not to have that same type of attitude. We are to respect one another and we are to understand that my opinion is just as worthy as your opinion in the eyes of God. And so this is not a matter of faith, but instead it is a matter of opinion. Third question, what did Paul command to be done? There are several things that I will list and we'll go through these very quickly. First and foremost, for those holding to the ideas from the law, maybe the Jewish Christians, this is what Paul writes. Do not act in violation of your conviction. Now, verse number 5 says this, and I like verse number 5 because it says, each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. Here's one of the things we don't do sometimes in these kind of matters. We don't study them through. And I believe verse number 5 says, study it through and become convinced of one position or the other, if you can there's no, nothing wrong with coming to a conviction on either one of these two viewpoints. Now, if you are the ones like the Gentile Christians that eat anything and everything, eat the pork and eat the catfish, that don't observe things like the Sabbath, the Day of Atonement, something like that, that's okay. If you happen to side with the Jewish brethren, some of them who, who still have these scruples and, and these issues in doing those things, that's okay. Be fully convinced in your own mind. But verses 23 through 20, uh, 22 rather through 23 clearly say, don't do things that violate your conscience. Blessed is the one, verse 22, who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. This is what God said to those who believed in the viewpoint of the Jewish Christians. You shouldn't do things that make you violate your conscience. If you do so, then you sin. For those who are holding to the view of the Gentiles, another command is given. Do not lead these brethren who view differently the things that you see as Christian liberty. Do not lead them to violate their conscience. You will notice verses 14 and 15 being mentioned here. But verse number 13 says this, Therefore let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. The word stumbling block here is just something that is in the way that if your feet hit it, you're going to fall to the ground. The hindrance, however, carries with it the idea of a snare. Now, catch what I'm saying here. To the Gentile brethren here, they're being told, don't inadvertently leave things out so that your brother can trip over them and lose their faith. Kind of be mindful of what you do and how you do it. 
But also, don't try to trick them into something either. Now, let's go back to that illustration. You've got the, the gathering at the house. And, and after the meal, one of the Gentile Christians comes up and says, How'd you like that main course? I slipped a little pork in it. Ah, that's the snare. That's the trap. The brethren on the more uh, lenient side, if you will, the Gentile brethren, they should not be acting in that type of way. They should not be trying to contribute in any way to making these brethren violate their conscience. For those who are holding that Gentile type view, be patient with the scruples of the weaker brethren. Chapter 15, verse 1, We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. The goal is to build one another up. Verse number two, live in harmony with one another. Verse number five, and so be patient with them. You may not understand exactly why they don't eat the same things you eat. You may not understand why they don't work on Saturday, why they observe these certain days. You may not even really grasp a lot of that, but you be patient with them. They don't have to see the, the things the way you do in life. Number four, for both groups. Pursue what makes for peace and mutual upbuilding, verses 17 through 19. In essence, what God is basically saying here is, are you going to tear the church up over things that you're eating and special days, observances? You know, going back to that idea of tearing the church up over the color of the carpet, really? Are we going to take something that is so insignificant and make it so large that we're going to split a congregation of God's people. That's the idea that, that is mentioned to both groups. You pursue the things that make for peace. Now let's go back to that illustration of the house where you've got the meal and you've got the mixed company there eating that meal. To the Gentile host, how this would apply would be like this. Don't include in any of your foods that you serve that night what? Anything that a Jew might find offensive. But also, if you are a Jew who is there and you have these scruples, then don't go looking through the pantry and the refrigerator trying to figure out if the brother or sister here has something that you would be offended about. Take the whole issue off the table. Make it a non-issue. You pursue peace and harmony. To both parties, remember the example of Christ. Christ did not please himself, chapter 15, verse 3, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. It would have been far easier for Jesus to have simply said, look, people have sinned against me, they've insulted me, and I'm going to execute judgment. But instead, he took on their sins. He sacrificed in order that those weaker than him might benefit. And that's what the strong are being told to do here. You be willing to make some sacrifices to give some concessions for those brethren who are weaker in their understanding. However, notice also when you get down to verses 8 and following, there's a, 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 a caution as well. For those Gentile or rather those Jewish brethren who might say, well, you know, Jesus, he came and Jesus observed these same kind of dietary foods. He observed the same kind of days, and therefore, if Jesus did that, we need to do that. There is the straightening out of that, that idea as well. Jesus came, according to what Paul wrote here, to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs. That would have been Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And be able to then provide salvation to the Gentiles. And so what he's saying to the Jewish Christians is, don't be trying to use the example of Christ here as leverage to say our side is more righteous 
are more right than your side in the matter because that does not hold water. In both cases also, you will notice there is the caution in verse number 10, you're going to be judged in this matter. For those of you who are taking this matter that should not be viewed this way, and you are splitting the Lord's church, you will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And that ought to frighten us. That ought to scare us when you think of it in that way. Now, if it is a matter of faith, hear me and listen well tonight, I ask you. If it is a matter of faith, then if the church has to be split, so be it. Because we cannot side with things that are wrong. And if there are those who will line up on one side as being right and those who line up on the other side of being wrong, if that's what splits the church, then so be it. It is a matter of faith. It is a matter of principles that are right and wrong and clearly defined. But when it is a matter of opinion, brothers, we need to seek unity. We need to seek peace and harmony. And we need to understand that if we contribute to anything else other than that, then we're going to answer for that one day before our Heavenly Father. Now, as we come toward the end of our lesson, I thought we would spend just a few moments talking about some application. Mark, how long do I have? That's about what I thought. How do we apply this passage today? Well, I could be wrong, but I don't imagine we have a lot of Jews and Gentiles both in this auditorium. In most places that we are familiar with in the South... This probably doesn't apply in a very direct way. However, if you go to certain urban areas in the United States or go to certain places around the world, you may have converts from Judaism dealing with this very thing. And in that situation, apply the teachings that we've talked about tonight to that situation. So what can we say in a congregation that is not like that? Well, there are some principles I think that we can learn. First and foremost, we don't need to abuse this passage. What I mean by that is we need to make sure that this is a passage that is only used in matters of opinion, not matters of faith. There are some brethren today who believe that instrumental music in the eyes of God is acceptable. And when you discuss this matter with them, they will go to this passage and they will say, this fits into Romans chapter 14. No, it does not. Because God has made that a matter of faith not a matter of opinion. And so the only kind of situations where this passage should be used, the principles of it, are going to be in matters of opinion. And also very severe matters of opinion. What do I mean by that? When you look at the idea of a stumbling block or a hindrance there, when you look at people despising others, this is something that's causing people to leave the church. Now I want you to go back to that that. that, that scenario of these two groups of people in the church together. I can imagine being treated in certain ways by people on the other side. People on one side might say, well, if that's the way the church is going to be, I'm just going to go back to Judaism. I can imagine some Gentiles saying, well, if that's the way it's going to be in the church, then I'm just going to go back to the world. It was better. You have people who are leaving the church. Now, what I have observed in many years of being a minister of the Mark is that most of the time, these matters, if you will, of opinion among us, are not matters that someone's going to lose their faith over. What they're going to do is they're going to go change churches. They're going to leave the congregation that they're at and go to another congregation, but they're not going to leave the Lord. 
We need to understand that this is a teaching, this is a a section of Scripture that is designed to address not just matters of opinion, but matters of opinion where people's souls are at stake. And that's very important in that regard. What are some issues that we might kind of put into the matters of opinion? Well, I'll just list several, and I'm not trying to stir up a hornet's nest when I mention any of these. But there are those among us who believe that every Sunday morning for worship, you ought to be in a suit and tie. And then there are others who believe that you don't have to be in a suit and tie. You can make an argument on both sides. That's a matter of opinion. There are the order of worship elements. Whether we have the Lord's Supper before the preaching or the preaching before the Lord's Supper. Whether we sing five songs or whether we sing three songs. Whether we have two prayers or whether we have five. Those are matters of opinion. Whether we eat or not in a church building is a matter of opinion. There are many people that have a strong conviction that say, I'm not willing to eat in a church building based on the teachings that are found in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. There are others that do not have that scruple. That is a matter of opinion. Whether or not we eat out on a Sunday is a matter of opinion. There are those good Christians, many of them, who cannot feel good about making somebody work on the Lord's Day for their pleasure and their benefit. Others don't have an issue with that. That is a matter of opinion. The matter of baptism is a matter of faith, but where we're baptized is a matter of opinion. Whether it's going to be in a baptistry like what's behind me, whether it's in a pool down at Indian Creek Youth Camp, or whether it is in a creek or in a lake, that's a matter of opinion. There are many, many matters of opinion, but let's make sure that the matters of opinion are something that is standing in the way of a brother or sister losing his or her faith. That's the criteria here from Romans chapter 14. Also, we'll say this, and I feel obligated to do that. I don't know if the church at Rome had elders at this point. I looked through the book of Romans as I prepared for this lesson, and I could not find the mention, even though there are a number of people mentioned by name in the last chapter especially, I cannot find reference of any elders that are cited in the book of Romans. It's possible they didn't have elders. Isn't that correct? We don't know when the church at Rome actually began. We know when this was written. It was around A.D. 56 or 57, somewhere around that time. It's possible they didn't have elders. And maybe one of the reasons they struggled with it was because they didn't have elders. Elders makes decisions on behalf of a congregation in matters of judgment, in matters of opinion. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17 says we should obey our elders and submit to their decisions. One of the things elders do and should do is to think about these kind of matters. We've got people on one side that believe this way and believe that way about something. And then people on the other side that have a just as legitimate type of belief and opinion and everything. Elders in a congregation, they weigh that out and they try to do what's best for the entire congregation. And when they make those kind of decisions, we need to be supportive of them and encouraging to them. It's not easy being an elder today in the Lord's church, in part because of many of these things. And so all of the ideas that we have seen tonight that Paul provides, if you will, as answers or solutions to the problem of not passing judgment on your brother would apply in any and all of these situations. If it's a matter of faith, we need to pass judgment. If a brother or sister is caught in a trespass, those of us who are spiritual, Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1 We should seek to restore that person in a spirit of gentleness, considering ourselves lest we also be tempted. 
We are to judge and we are to take action in those situations. But matters of opinion, we should not judge each other. Look at one another and say, you're less of a Christian. I'm more of a Christian because of my opinion compared to yours. We should never be found judging one another and causing this type of strife in the Lord's church. Let's have a word of prayer. Father God in heaven, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the church that Jesus bought with his precious blood. And we thank you, Father, that no matter where we come from in life and our background, that Jesus died for each and every one of us so that we might be united in him. Father, help us to be people who strive for unity, understanding the difference between matters of faith and matters of opinion. And help us, Father, to always strive in matters that you have named matters of opinion. Help us always to have liberty and joy, Father, and patience with one another. Father, we pray for the church, both here at Midway and around the world. May she be united, may she be, Father, united in fulfilling your purpose for her. And Father, help each and every one of us, as we have that opportunity, to contribute to the unity and the welfare and the prosperity of each congregation that we are a part of. We thank you for Christ, who makes everything possible for us, your love, your mercy, and your patience towards us. And it is in the name of Christ we pray. Amen.